open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. I'll jump in there in just a moment. Let me say a word about a decision the church made on Wednesday night. Uh, we decided to change our Sunday schedule. Um, now, you may think, okay, big deal. Well, it's a big deal if 8.30 is early enough for you already <laughs> because the new schedule starting July 14th. July 14th is a date you need to remember. July 14th will start the new Sunday schedule. We will begin the early service at 8 a.m., 8 o'clock a.m. So that means Saturday night, July 13th, is your last wild Saturday night for a long time because you won't be able to stay out like you have been doing and make, and make 8 o'clock. So 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11. 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11. Uh, the aim of that was simply to expand the schedule enough that we would have the opportunity to add more worship services in the cafe, but also in this room. The uh, intention is to probably start a 9.30 a.m. worship service in this room, probably in August after the, after the school year begins, after fall, everybody gets back from the summer. So uh, we won't start that, that second service right away, but July 14th, we will change the schedule. So start running drills in your house if you need to. Uh, I don't really want to make a joke of it. I know that Sundays are sacred, and for some of us, the, the pattern that we have with our families on Sunday morning is really, really special. It may be the only morning of the week that you and your wife can sit on the porch and drink coffee. It may be the slowest morning that you have, and, and we've just uh, taken something away from that. And, and I understand that, and I know that that's a lot to ask. But Stewart Farms just went up, uh, right up the road from us, and it, it is already nearly full of families, and we need to be able to welcome them. Uh, we have this Who's Your One campaign where everybody is trying to reach one person for Jesus, but as if you look around this room, you wouldn't be able to bring your one to church and count on that they could have a seat, and, and we really need to fix that. And opening up that second hour for, uh, for another worship service will allow us to do that. So that's, that's the goal. So everybody take a deep breath and get ready to start waking up even earlier on Sunday morning. So I say that. Uh, the good news is 9.30 is a pretty good time to come to church, actually. And some of you may find out that that sounds really good. And, and you may have that new option after, uh, after the summer. So be in prayer. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we'll be this morning. I am concluding the message series entitled Hero Maker. I've been just trying to apply very practically one of the most basic uh, principles of Christian life, and that is in following the example of Jesus, we don't put ourselves first. We put others ahead of ourselves. Our aim, of course, is to serve Christ, to lay down our lives for Jesus. But the way that Jesus explains that we do that practically is that we lay down our lives for others. We give ourselves away for the sake of other people. That means my whole life, more or less, is a celebration of others. It's not a celebration of myself. I'm not the big deal. I'm not the main one. I'm not the center of, of anything. I am here because of Jesus, and Jesus sends me out to serve you. And that is true for all of us, all of us. So the hero-making principle is simple. It means that in your life, you don't try to be the hero. You try to make heroes out of other people. You be the hero-maker. You don't try to stand in the spotlight. You be very, very comfortable holding the spotlight that other people can stand in. You understand? You become very comfortable in using your life to build a platform that other people can stand upon. You give everything that you have for the sake of other people. This is how Christians live lives. Now, I've saved the best message for last. We're going to talk about husbands and hero making today. I'm not doing this as some sort of stunt. Honestly, and this passage right here is one of the clearest 
portions of scripture that speaks hero-making language and it's directed especially toward husbands, men, and marriage. Now, some of you are saying, Pastor Tim, I'm not married. Can I just sleep? No, no, this is what I'm telling you. Your future wife called me and she asked me to tell you all this. Uh, so if, if you're a single guy and you're thinking, man, I'm a long way from this, you're closer than you know. And honestly, what we're learning here today is just how a man of God lives his life, okay? It's just how he lives his life, especially in marriage. There was um, a mother uh, with her son. Her son asked a really serious question, just said, Mama, if something ever happened to Dad, would there be another man on earth just like him? The mom looked at her son and said, probably. <laughs> and knowing my luck, I'll get him. <laughs> probably and knowing my luck, I'll get him. Yeah. It, it's kind of typical in our culture to laugh at marriage and especially to laugh at doofus husbands. Uh, we're not all doofuses. I'll take that back. We probably are. But, but, but there's a lot of good men in this world. There are a lot of good men in this church. I'll, I'll say that. Um, every day this week, I've been coming out of my lane and men from this church have been building a ramp for a disabled man who lives in Woodburn. Guys from our church do that. I, I love that. I, I really am proud of that. I, I love our guys. Um, having spent the biggest part of my adult life in Woodburn Baptist Church, uh, some of you guys have shown me what it means to be a man, and, and I appreciate that more than you know. You have shown me what it is to be a man of integrity, a man who keeps promises, a man who's faithful to his wife, a man who's generous with everything that he has. Um, it's just always a pleasure to preach at Woodburn uh, because I get to preach to people who have always lived out the gospel, lived out the ways of Jesus. But we can all do better and especially husbands. Uh, here, here's the basic principle. I'll just lay out the, 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 the big principle for you right here. After Christ, the wife is the only thing for which a man must be ready to lay down his life. I'm just speaking scripture back to you, you all. After Christ, the wife, uh, in other words, not the remote, you know, uh, not, not baseball, uh, not, not farming, not your job, uh, after Christ, the wife is the only thing for which a man must be ready to lay down his life. You, you don't believe me? Let's look at Scripture. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start uh, right here in verse 25. In the middle of this portion of Scripture where Paul is talking about the Christian household. We'll start with the husband part. Ephesians 5 verse 25. Husbands, this means Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Now, that's a pretty high bar. Will you agree with me? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. That's just the first verse. Take a deep breath, guys, because that's, that, that, that's really asking a lot of us. Husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to, back up, verse 28, in the same way. <laughs> did you get that? In the same way. In what way? 
In the same way Jesus loved the church, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. (laughs) For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we're members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Man, you women are just sitting up so tall. Y'all just, yeah, I, I, I understand. Uh, In marriage, it's very simple. Verse 25 says it plainly. The husband is commanded to love like Jesus. Now, we're all supposed to imitate Jesus. You know that, women too. And we all are trying to imitate Jesus and we all wanna love the way Jesus loves. That is a Christian principle. It's for everybody, not just men. But but notice how particularly in this scripture, the husband is, is given a standard to live toward in relationship to his wife. And the standard is simple. In marriage, the husband is commanded to love like Jesus. You have to love like Jesus. Now, what does Jesus's love look like? Again, it's, it's spelled out in scripture. Verse 25, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. So this is the ultimate kind of love, the ultimate kind of sacrificial love. You are ready to die for her. You say, Pastor Tim, I'm sure that this is spiritually speaking. This is probably Paul speaking kind of poetically. I, I, I would die without you, baby. You know, just sort of the way they, they talk in, in love songs. No, I, I really do believe that this is spiritual. I also believe it's literal. You should be ready to lay down your life for her. Jesus laid down his literal life for you. And just in the same way that Jesus gave everything for you, you should be ready to give everything for her. Everything for her. He gave up his life for her, verse 26, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. He gave up everything in order to give her everything. Do you see that? It is amazing illustration of love. And this, guys, is what we are called to do and be. We are called in marriage to love our wives just like Jesus loved the church. We gotta love like Jesus. Man, it's tough. I've been married 31 years, guys, to the greatest woman in the world, and it is tough. It it, it is tough. Y'all ever heard the old saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? That's a Kentucky, that's Kentucky talk there. If, if, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. There's real truth in that. There's just real truth. <laughs> Amen. There's just real. <laughs> There's so much truth in that. In the marriage, if the wife is not being loved the way Jesus loves, if the wife is not happy, there's this real sense that nobody's happy. Understand, it's explained to you in this scripture because it's really pretty phenomenal. Verse 28, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. What does that even mean? No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church and we're members of his body. 
Verse 31, this is where it's explained. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two become, say it, one flesh. They become one flesh. So when you got married, dude, you, you were joined to her physically, but also spiritually, emotionally, in every way. She's now part of you. So for you to live in such a way where mama ain't happy, understand, you won't be happy either. Your happiness is connected now to her happiness. Your well-being is connected to her well-being. Don't look like I'm telling you bad news. This is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. God himself looked down at the Garden of Eden with the very first man and said, it is not good for a man to be alone. Have you ever seen a man alone? They're pitiful. Driving around in pickup trucks with cow parts hanging off the hitch with Mountain Dew bottles pouring out of the doors or clothes don't match. I mean, you know, God looked down and said, that ain't good. That, that, man, dude needs a girl. I, I mean, you know, I, I mean, there's just something about marriage. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it's a beautiful thing to have your life joined with, with a soulmate in, in that way. She's part of you now, sir. She's part of you. And so for you to try to live your life like you're the only one that matters, for you to live your life without considering her, to live your life without putting her first, I mean, Ephesians makes it pretty clear, you're only hurting yourself. You're cutting off your own nose because she's like a part of you now. now understand that beautiful? So you love her. You love her just like Jesus. You give up everything for her. Now, now what's that look like? Let, let's do it two ways. First off, look at verse, the very last verse there, verse 33. Because this is interesting. In, in chapter 5, Paul has given specific instructions to the wife and specific instructions to the husband. And now he sums it all up. And for the most part, they've both been asked to, to surrender, to love sacrificially. But it's said in two different ways in verse 33. Notice what it says. Again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Interesting. We're not exactly called to give each other the same thing. It's different. The, the, the husband must give the wife what? Love. It's unconditional love. You say, whoa, whoa, Pastor Tim, why do you say unconditional love? Well, because it's commanded. It's commanded from Jesus that you love her. Therefore, it's unconditional. You just love her because you're commanded to love her. Now, interestingly, wives are commanded to respect the husband. Because men and women are just different. I know we're not all stereotypes, but for the most part, this is true. Men live in a world where we run on respect. Most men would rather say, I'd rather be unloved than disrespected. We need respect. And so the wife is commanded to give unconditional respect. So, honey, you don't get to say, I will love him when he earns my respect. I respect him when he earns it. No, no, no. It's unconditional respect. I'll preach to y'all later. Guys, unconditional love. Unconditional love. This is what she needs, and God knows what she needs, and that's why he's telling you, you give her what she needs. Unconditional love. I'll love her when she deserves it. No, no, no. You'll love her because Christ commanded you to love her unconditionally. You know your wife. You know her. You know your daughters, you know your mama. You've known women all of your life, and you know the world they live in. 
Women in this culture are told that they will be loved when they change themselves, when they, when they can look more physically attractive. That's the message of our culture. You will be loved when you weigh under a certain, uh, under a certain you know, amount. You'll be loved when you look a certain way. You, you'll be loved when you can perform sexually. You'll be loved when you learn to do more, when, when you're better. You'll, you'll, you'll be loved when you give more, do more. You'll be loved if you could just disappear. I mean, this is the message that our culture gives to women. You'll be loved if. But that is not the message of Christian scripture for your wife. She will be loved by you unconditionally. You just love her. You love her. You love her like Jesus loves her. So what exactly does it look like? Let's get real practical. Number one, love is commitment. Love is commitment. I know that just makes basic sense, but that doesn't make basic sense to people these days. Let's just be honest. People don't do commitment these days. As a pastor, and I'm just going to be honest with you, as a pastor, I am alarmed at the number of couples I talk to who do not live with just the basic confidence that the spouse won't leave them. I don't understand that. I mean, we're believers, we're Christians, and I primarily deal with Christian couples. But so many wives and so many husbands haven't settled this basic issue, the the commitment. I mean, you stood at the altar and you said, I will love you. I will love you. Sickness and in health, for rich or for poor. You know, for better, for worse. I mean, you promise unconditional love in unforeseen circumstances, did you not? But for some reason, that promise is lost on you, dude, because your wife lives her life with this uncertainty. She's really not certain that you'll stay with her if she got sick. She's not altogether sure that that you would stay with her if the money got a little bit tighter. And and a lot of husbands are in the same boat. They worry that their wife is going to run around on them, run off with another man. There's just this incredible lack of commitment in so many marriages these days. And you understand that is not like Christ. If in your marriage you don't have a basic sense of of, of confidence and commitment, then then this is where you start. Love is commitment. There is no option for divorce in your marriage if you're a believer. There's just not. It's it's commitment. I'm a runner. I'm not a great runner. I'm just a runner. But I'll tell you one thing. I'm a much better runner if my wife drives me out in the country 10 miles from home and puts me out. I'm telling you the truth. Man, if she'll drive me out, like, oh, you know, out Sportsman's Lake Road, take me right out there 10 miles out and dump me. I will run home. Why? Because it's the only way home. Now, I'm a pretty good runner if I've only got one way home, and that's my feet. I am a terrible runner on a track. I am an even worse runner on a treadmill. Now, why? What's a treadmill? Well, a treadmill is where I put my keys down right here, and I step right here and run, right? And every single step, I can see my keys right there, and I can see the door right there, which means with every single step, I have to make a decision. Am I going to take a step in this direction or a step in this direction? Because one step in this direction, I'm off the treadmill, and I'm on my way to sign it for a half-price milkshake. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying? A track's the same way. 
because I park my car, I put down my keys, and I start running the track. And every single lap, I have to run by the exit. And I have to make that decision. Am I going to run another lap or am I going to quit? You see, as long as I have that option of quitting alive in my brain, it, it makes it very difficult. So I'm constantly wondering, am I going to continue? Am I going to continue or am I going to quit? And some of you live in your marriage with that sort of mentality. Am I going to continue? Am I, maybe I'll stay till the kids graduate. Maybe I'll, stay till, maybe I'll stay till we can sell the house. Maybe I'll stay and just see if his cough gets worse. Maybe I'll just stay and quit later. No, no, no love is commitment. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Love is commitment. Number two, love is companionship. In the book of Genesis, when you see how God took the rib from Adam and made for him a, a strong companion, it's that idea that marriage is for a lot of things, but, but apparently from God's perspective, it's to a large extent, it's about companionship. Man, when I counsel couples and, and marry young couples, every single one of them tells me that they're marrying their best friend. They'll always tell me, I said, tell me your love story. And one way or the other, it's like two people who met and they just became best friends. And, and now they want to spend the rest of their life, wake up every morning with their best friend. Isn't that beautiful? Is that not what marriage really is about? It's about the friendship. Now, some guys, you're thinking it's about the sex. And I'm telling you, it's really about the friendship. There are lots of couples who have great sex and get divorced all the time. As, as a matter of fact, I've seen a lot of couples divorce, and they always say they love each other. Always. I've never seen, a, and there probably are some, I mean, your ex-wife, you know, maybe, you know, she'd kill you if she could see you, but I don't know her. I'm just saying the couples I talk to, they always say they love each other. She'll say, yeah, I'll always love him. I, I, we just don't have anything in, I, we don't have anything in common anymore. Or I love him, but I, I just don't really know who he is anymore. Or I love her, but I just don't like her anymore. You understand? Marriages fail not for lack of sex and not for lack of love. Marriages fail for lack of friendship. It's, it's about companionship. In, in surveys over and over and over, you talk to women and 90% of women in America today say they wish their husbands would join the family. What do I mean by that? Just wish they joined the family. It means that when you come home, you come straight in and you go outside to the shop or the barn, or, or you come straight in and you go straight to the shower, then you sit in your chair and you stare at your phone. Now, just because you're in the house in your chair, it doesn't mean you joined the family. They want you present, that they want you there. They want companionship. And, and just because you're there, like the lights are on, but nobody's home, that's not companionship. Just because you're with her, it doesn't mean that you are attending to her, that, that you're focused on her. It doesn't mean that you have a friendship that you're celebrating and enjoying. You married her because she was your best friend. Now, let's look at where you are now all of these years later because you'd probably still say she's your best friend. Most men in America say that their wife is your best friend. For some of you, she's your only friend. 
When you die, your poor wife will have to carry your casket because you don't know seven guys to be pallbearers. You don't have friends, guy. You don't have any friends. It's sad. No friends. All you got is her, so she's your best friend and your only friend. But think about how you talk to her. Is that any way to treat your best friend, your only friend? Because honestly, dude, if she leaves you, you got nobody. Marriage is companionship. It's, it, it's friendship. Talk to her. Love her. Spend time with her. Enjoy her. Don't you remember back in, the, in your dating days, the things y'all would do together? You go out and do stuff together. You get in the kayak. You go to ball games. You go out to dinner. You just enjoy each other. Enjoy each other's companionship. You can do that again. Get out of your chair. Put down your phone. Woo your woman. I have to explain how this works. Go out, take a walk in the woods. Take her up in your deer stand. Take her up in your deer stand and do things that would frighten the animals. It's okay, you're married. You're married. Go to the drive-in and fog up the windows, dude. You're married. You can, it's not a sin. It's awesome. It's married life. It's the best part of married life. Enjoy each other. Be companions. Be friends. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up himself for her. How do you treat her? How do you talk to her? Is that any way to treat your best friend? Love is companionship. And this one's hard for me this week, you guys, because love is conversation. It's hard because I'm a pastor and I'm married and I have to live stuff. I'm expected to live stuff that I preach. But this week, y'all, and, and I love my, my wife's right there, y'all. She's amazing. So I have to confess because she's here. Um, Monday, my wife woke up with laryngitis. <laughs> and uh, she came out and said, I'm not going to be able to talk today. And my first response, and I even said it out loud, was, it's going to be a terrific day. <laughs> it's going to be a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, and honey, you know, I'm in it, I'm in it. <sighs> I did, because I'm just thinking, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, she couldn't talk at all, like she couldn't even squeak at me, and I'm thinking, this is going to be the best day of our lives. It was like what, Memorial Day, right? So we were both off, and I love her. I love her, but y'all, my wife can just talk. And, and I know in life, y'all see me and you think, man, that guy blabbering and never shuts up. No, when we go home, it switches. I don't talk at home. My wife talks at home. She can, I mean, she can talk a lot longer than I can listen. Y'all know what I mean? And I love her. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing her at all. A lot of guys would say the same thing. Man, my wife, man, you know, like, like a gold medalist in, in just conversation, man, they can talk. Like, you ever done that? Like, you're driving down the road, and all of a sudden you're like, she's talking. You know what I mean? It's like you just kind of come up and think, she's talking. How long has she been talking, you know? <laughs> And the bad thing is while she's talking, you're going, mm-hmm. <laughs> you think, 
what have I agreed to? What did I just say yes to? You know what, guys, am I, do you feel me? You know what I'm saying? You ever done that? It's just like, she's talking, you know? Oh my, yeah. Um, so she said, I can't talk. And I thought, man, thank you, Jesus. This is going to be, uh, yeah, I'll be honest with you. And this is honest. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not now going to try to tell you something that's not true. Um, it lasted like all week. And uh, Wednesday, I really missed her. I really did. I, I just really, really did. I, I missed her. We'd been together a lot, but just, you know, she hadn't been able to say a word, just not, you know, not even talk. And uh, by Wednesday, I really missed her. I, I, I really did. I, I, I wanted to catch up. Um, by Friday, she had caught up. She yeah, she caught back up. <laughs> no, I, honestly, f- often for men and women, a conversation means two different things. Uh, for a lot of women, conversation is a means of connection. Women talk to feel close. Um, is that fair to say? I mean, not all women are the same, but, but for most women, they talk to feel close. And when they talk, they share a lot of detail, and, and, and that makes them feel even closer. Uh, this is not how men operate. Um, a long conversation with my wife doesn't necessarily make me feel closer to her. I, I love her very, very much, but conversation, that, that, that's not doing the same thing for me that it does for her. My wife speaks beautifully. My, my wife speaks well. She speaks from her heart, and she does it effortlessly. But, but for me, that kind of conversation is, is work. It's work. It, it's work to, to listen. My wife doesn't often have anything important to say until I have something important to read. You know what I mean? And the minute I pull out my iPad, you know, she starts talking, you know. And, and so it's really hard. It's just hard to put that down and listen. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the, the minute, you know, your team comes on and the, and the big game starts and all of a sudden she starts, you know, talking and it's very difficult to mute that television, you know, because you can't mute her, you know. Uh, it, it's hard to stop and focus and listen. All I'm saying is for, for men, that conversation is work. But a lot, a lot of you would say, Pastor Tim, I love my wife. I'm willing to work on my marriage. Well, I would just say, Chances are this is where that work begins. The work begins in conversation. You've got to learn how to talk and listen to her. And you've got to talk to her too. Because there's something really peculiar about a man who can leave for work at 6 a.m., come in at 6 p.m. and have nothing to say. Understand? Um, she loves that feeling of being cherished by you, but a woman cannot feel cherished by a man who does not talk or listen to her. It's, 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 a, it's conversation. Notice in the scripture what it says about Jesus' word. He gave up his life for her, verse 26, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or a wrinkle or any other blemish. Do you understand there that role of, of, of Jesus' word in the transformation of his bride? I would say... I don't know if you understand this. Surely you do. Um, when you get married, you, you give your heart away in such, in such a manner that um, it, it's a great risk. Um, you, you get married to a girl, and, and, and that girl has incredible power over you for the rest of your life. It, it, I would say that the man you become has everything to do with the woman she is, so be really careful who you marry. And... 
and, and very truly, the woman that your wife becomes has a lot to do with the man that you are. And a whole lot to do with the way you talk to her. Notice in the way that Jesus loves the church, the way Jesus loves the word, uh, the, the, loves the church, his word has this incredible transforming power. The, the, the end game, the goal, of course, is to present her, to see her glorious, without spot, without fault, without any blemish. I mean, for, for Jesus, the, the goal was, was, was to see his bride become everything she can be, to see his bride become beautiful and glorious and righteous. This is the way Jesus loves it's this vision of glory for his bride. And he gives up everything for the sake of seeing her become that. Am I preaching about marriage? You understand what I'm saying? Gives up everything for the sake of seeing her become everything that she can be. So much of it has to do with the way he talks to her. Man, when you speak, when you throw words at your wife, you don't understand how you're speaking into her heart. You tell her she's fat, you tell her she's worthless, you tell her you can't trust her, you tell her to get out of your way, you tell her to get out of your face, you tell her to, I mean. The woman she becomes has everything to do with the man you are. And the man you are, it often just comes right out of your mouth. Husbands, you're supposed to love your wives the way Christ loves the church. He, he sees her not exactly as she is, but how she can be. How many families, like everybody sacrifices so that, so that the man gets all of his dreams fulfilled, you know? Like the wife is always expected just to follow her husband, you know, just to, you know, find a job because his job is the job that matters. And I just read Ephesians chapter five and I don't see that. I don't see where everything's about the man and, and everything kind of revolves around him and, and he gets his dreams and rewards in life, but, but the wife just sort of supports him. I, I don't see that. Show me if I'm reading it wrong. It's the husband who is commanded to love like Christ. So I just encourage you, love her heroically. I know it's hero maker, and I've been saying, you're not going to be the hero, be the hero maker. So understand what I'm saying. Love her heroically. That means save the day. You know how Mighty Mouse or Superman or Batman, they save the day. You're supposed to save the day for this woman. I, I think probably what that means most days is you just make sure her needs get met. But, but that's on you because you're loving her like Jesus. And Jesus gave up everything, everything in order to give her everything, right? So save the day for her. You come through for her in a big way. You make sure every single day she may have a lot of questions and a lot of doubts in the world, but she should have no questions and doubts about you. You're going to come through. If you make a promise, you will deliver on that promise, and you promise to love her, cherish her, bring milk and eggs home after work. Keep your promises. Come through for her. Rescue her. Be her hero, but more importantly, why don't you be her hero maker? Why don't you look at her? Listen to her. Understand what her dreams are. Look into that woman and, and get a vision for what she could become if she had a man who might build a platform that she could stand on, a man who would just stand back and shine the light on her. 
a man who would sacrifice everything to satisfy her. In marriage, maybe a lot of us as guys, we, we think we're supposed to be the hero. But I read Ephesians chapter 5 and I see something very, very different. When it comes to your wife, what if you decided to be her hero maker? Pray with me. Lord God, I preached on marriage and I cracked a lot of jokes. And I looked into the faces of some hurting people. God, marriage is a beautiful thing and it's something that you created for, for, for our blessing, Lord. But when marriage goes wrong, nothing hurts like that. Nothing hurts like the broken promises of somebody who told you that they would love you until they died. Lord, nothing hurts like that. God, I pray for those who have known that pain and who are walking through that pain even right now. Lord, bless them. Bless them. Lord, I pray for those in marriages that are really difficult right now. For husbands who have just lost touch with that side of them, that soft side of their heart that would let them love love his wife like a best friend. Lord, I pray that you would restore our hearts in such a way as men where we remember, Lord, that, that we were called to love like Jesus, to sacrifice. And, and if we wanna lead, that means going first and doing the hard things, Lord. We should be there laying down our lives. And Lord, our wives, bless them. Lord, they are not always the women that they need to be, but Lord, very, very often the women that they become has everything to do with the men that we are. God, just teach us as husbands and wives how to love and how to respect one another in such a way where all of your purposes are fulfilled in both of our lives. God, I pray that you would bless families in this congregation, bless our children, bless our marriages. Bless those who are single, Lord, today. I pray that you would give them contentment, grace. I pray that you would just continue to help all of us to walk in such a way where we would become more like you, oh Jesus, every single day, living, walking, and loving the way you love. We pray in your precious name. Amen.